Welcome to Locked On NFL, the number one daily NFL podcast on the number one daily sports podcast network. I'm your co-host, Brian Peacock. Alongside me is the scout, Matt Williamson. He is live from Indianapolis at the NFL Scouting Combine. So a lot of combine news, a lot of GMs and coaches talking at the Combine, and we're getting some heights and weights starting to come in. There's going to be more workouts and the on-field stuff, and 40 times will be coming starting Thursday that we'll get into all of next week mostly, maybe a little bit of it at the end of this week as well. Matt, how are you enjoying yourself in Indianapolis, and uh, any big takeaways from your first couple of days there? Yeah, loving it, and uh, as always, this is one of my favorite weeks of the year. Get out and, you know, hotel life's not so bad and get away from home. I don't get on travel all that much. But uh, I got picked up around 11 Eastern yesterday. It's pretty, basically a straight shot, all highway, about a five and a half hour ride. Got here right around five-ish, 4.30, something like that. Check in my hotel room, caught a little snooze, unpacked, and went to the Steelers are generous enough to invite, like, I don't know, dozen, 15 of us, something like that, to what their media dinner, which is at a great steakhouse and really live it up there and eat a phenomenal meal and all on them, of course, very courteous of them. <laughs> then went out on the town a little bit. Can't can't beat that. Had a couple beverages, saw some people I haven't seen in a while. Got up this morning and had some breakfast when I was on the air from, did some work, was on the air from noon to four and had some phenomenal conversations with Kevin Colbert and Greg Cosell and Fran Duffy and whoever else we could grab and talking a lot of stuff. And there's a real buzz down here. I mean, there's every year it seems to get a couple percentage more action. You know, there's just a, a couple more people, a, little, a few more familiar faces. Everyone's moving a little quicker pace. I mean, it, it's every year it just seems to be growing and I think tomorrow it'll really pick up once we start to really process some of the player numbers and things like that, too. There's some news to get into. I want to talk heights and weights for some position groups here. But, cool. Matt, let's go back to the steakhouse situation. That sounds phenomenal. <laughs> what is the Matt Williamson go-to steak order? Well, in this instance, because there's a big party, there is a very short menu. But the key is the St. Elmo shrimp cocktail. And if anyone oh. hasn't heard about it, it's the first bite of it, it just opens up with horseradish and it's almost painful, but in a good way. And I, I devoured a lot of that. There was a, some of it that wasn't getting much attention late in the process that I made sure I put out of its misery. And then we went with your choice of Caesar salad or a phenomenal gumbo. I made the right choice on the gumbo. And then you could do the chicken. No one's doing the chicken. Or you could do filet mignon, or you could do the ribeye. I went with the ribeye, medium, or, uh, medium well, or not, no, I'm sorry, medium rare. Okay, okay. And there's a rare to begin with. Quite good. And then a little creme brulee to wash it down. Ribeye medium rare is my go-to as well, so I think yeah. we're on the same page there. I love horseradish, too. St. Emmo's is the one that is famous in Indianapolis, the one I always hear people talk about that they always hit, whether it's media or scouts and all of those folks. So um, I, someday if i got to make it. Like horseradish, I, it's unbelievable. I've never made the trip to India. I got to at some point. They're talking about maybe moving the combine. How do you feel about that? That, that would break my heart because really? <laughs> I don't know if the Steelers would send me if it was in L.A. with all of our radio equipment and all that. I mean, this is just an easy ride. But here's how the shrimp cocktail comes out. It's all you see is red. So it's like in a nice container 
but there's four huge shrimp in there and they don't give you the option how much, you know, uh, cocktail sauce you're going to get it's just smothered in it so you got to go fishing <laughs> for the shrimp through the cocktail sauce and they're real hearty and the shrimp and the, the power of the cocktail sauce is just overwhelming it's so good that sounds fantastic man i'm jealous yeah. of your trip to indianapolis now you know it's funny because you, you mentioned you know hotel life there was an article i saw just a couple of days ago and to be honest with you i can't remember where it was it might have been an espn article but it was uh, it was about uh, a scouting director. I think it was the Lions scouting director, maybe. And anyway, the, the takeaway was the life of a scout. And I know, Matt, you worked in the scouting business and you were a scout for a while. You got out of that. Was it a blessing in disguise to not have to spend for, for this particular guy? He's been working in scouting in 20 years. He spent 8.8 years of his life in hotel rooms. Wow. I mean, crazy. you rack up the Marriott points or yes. whatever, obviously. And at some point you take your family to a nice, a nice vacation on the house, but that would bother me. Um, I, I got to experience some of it because I was a blend of college and pro scout. So I spent a lot of time in the office watching tape, but I went on the road, I don't know, 10 different times for an extended stretch. And I don't mind it, but it would get old really quick for me. And I always think about this is I I was, everything was drivable from Cleveland or Pittsburgh home base. You know, I went as far as like Maryland and, you know, a, a lot of those areas. But I think about those West Coast scouts for the NFL. I mean, there's many, many miles between colleges. I mean, how much time do you spend in the air or massive drives in the middle of nowhere? And then to take it a step further, what if you're like a baseball, basketball, hockey scout, and you're going all over the world? It's got to be a rough life. And, and of course, I'm sure most scouts think there's a payoff at the end, even if it's rough at the time. And, and some guys are lifers in the scouting business, and they're just scouts, and they do that forever. And I'm sure at some point you get really used to it. But, man, yeah, being away from your family for that much time, and especially what uh, – and I know – What's the saying? 25 for 25. You find a 25 year old that'll work for 25 grand and travel around the year when you first hire their first scout. If it's some young person out of college and, you know, if you're single, it's one thing. But, you know, at this point, it's like, man, you, you can't afford me to go live that life. No. Right. And a lot of those scouts, uh, especially during the season, is two weeks on a weekend at home, two weeks on a weekend at home. So like every other weekend you're on the road and with road on you know both sides of that sandwiched around it. That's a lot, man. I mean, it's really tough. If you've got kids at home, they do not see you very much at all. Marriott points must be nice though. Yeah, right. That's a nice little park for sure. Can't overlook that. A little bit of news here. Let's start with the Denver Broncos. It sounds like Vic Fangio basically said, quote, we just want to make sure we have a capable backup behind Drew Locke. It doesn't sound like that backup will be Joe Flacco. No, I think that's an easy one that they're going to move away from him. He They save a substantial amount of cap space by moving on from Flacco. I never understood the move to begin with, to bring him in and think that he's anything resembling in, in the answer. I thought he was a bad player his last couple of years in Baltimore. And, hey, I like Joe. I don't know if I told you. I recruited Joe, Joe to Pitt way back when, so I've been rooting for him. But I think he's been shot for a while. Do you think he throws another NFL pass? That's a Great question. I mean, yeah. if he still wants to play, somebody down the line has some connection with Flacco, and if he's willing to come in on 
you know, the type of contract that would pay him as a backup and or maybe compete somewhere or just be that veteran stopgap. I could see it, but nobody's bringing in Joe Flacco in 2020 to be their starter. That's for sure. No, that's for sure. And if he doesn't want to take a reduced contract, a massively reduced role, he might be the definition of that guy that's just sitting out there in limbo two weeks into training camp and someone gets hurt and he gets a call on a one-year deal. I mean, uh, and then back to the Broncos, I think they would be unwise to just assume Drew Locke is a hit. You know, like he's been encouraging. I'm not hating on Locke or any of that stuff. But I would be in the Mariota, Bridgewater, some kind of fallback plan that is respectable. I don't dislike Mariota there. I think that's a really good one, yeah. actually. And you, you've got to create some competition. Let the young guy know that he's not just going to get given this job and he'll be better for it, too. Even if, you know, the, the guy you bring in doesn't end up winning a job, have a have a backup plan and have somebody that can come play in case your starter gets hurt. So I like that a lot. Yeah, and I don't have this kind of guy on uh, uh, you know a name on the tip of my tongue, but even a Josh McCown mentor type might be smart there too. Someone that's really been around the block. And they still have a couple of younger quarterbacks, younger backup types, Brandon Allen and Brett Rippon that Vic Fangio said could be that guy and be their backup. And I like Brett Rippon in year two, maybe mm-hmm. someone that could be a long term backup in the NFL. Yeah, maybe the maybe the move is to get the. 34 year old that started a hand, you know, some games and been around the league journeyman smart guy. And it sounds like Justin Simmons will probably get the franchise tag. March 12th is that franchise tag deadline. It doesn't seem like the Broncos and they shouldn't want to lose Justin Simmons. No, a really good ascending, um, not a huge name safety, but uh, I don't have the franchise numbers in front of me, but franchising a safety doesn't break the bank like it does at some positions. Um, he's exactly the type of player that franchise cannot afford to lose. Um, Fangio's gotten a lot of productions out of safeties in the past, playmakers at that position. And I think that they're a lot more tied to him than they are Chris Harris. Sounds like Jets GM Joe Douglas wants to squash those Jamal Adams trade rumors, uh, the young star safety. He said he wants to make him a jet for life. So maybe a big long-term deal up after this year. Yeah. And I thought a couple of weeks ago, you said it really well, that, Hey, if someone wants to give you two firsts, I'm pretty much listening from anyone not named Watson or Mahomes or, you know what I mean? Like a, a, a position player that you're going to get a lot out of. And if Dallas was really in that market, then I'm listening because, you know, the cap space you could create with some of these dudes, Khalil Mack, you'd mentioned at one time. So I think some of those trade rumors was more based on if someone wants to give me an arm and a leg, I'll listen. But he's exactly, like we just talked about the safety position, he's exactly what the Jets need. I mean, he's a foundational player, already great. I think he's, I I always talk about how Troy and Ed were the the two safeties of their generation. And I kind of think that it's Derwin... Adams and probably Minka as three really young potential superstar safeties. A couple notes on veteran NFL quarterbacks as well. We've got a break really quick here. We'll get back, talk some quarterbacks, and then I want to talk a little bit about the weigh-ins from the positions we've seen here for the first couple of days. We've gotten quarterbacks. We've got a lot to talk about with hand size. We'll see how you feel about that, Matt. Uh, we've got running backs, wide receivers, and offensive linemen coming up.
Matt Rule, new Panthers coach, took the podium Tuesday. He says he was unbelievably excited were his exact words talking about Cam Newton. It looks like they're going to roll with Cam Newton as their guy in Carolina, which is one less domino that will fall this offseason. Yeah. This is lying season. Do you believe him, Matt? I don't believe anything. Okay. I mean, uh, that's the thing is I think this – I know everyone wants to talk about Brady, and then they want to talk about Rivers, and they've earned that. They're awesome. Don't get me wrong. But I think the Newton situation and where he is in his career is the most interesting quarterback story of the offseason. And here's why. Because just as a player, he's not Lamar, but you have to structure your offense in a certain way for him. You know, he's my guy. He's a unique player. We're going to structure our offense accordingly. And like uh, originally they did it with – Kelvin Benjamin and all these big, you know, big target area guys because he's not accurate. We're going to give a bigger target to throw through to that didn't work so well. So instead they said, let's get guys that get great separation so he can get it to him with you know less crowded situations that did start to work extremely well with guys like DJ Moore. And I thought Cam was really coming into his own as a passer. He's never going to be Drew Brees, but he was coming into his own as a passer. Then he gets hurt. What I do take away from this conversation, and again, I'm tentative to believe, is he's probably healthy, or at least is on that path to being ready to play again. So that part I, I take with some uh, with some substance. But at this stage of his career and with his injury history, do we want Cam Newton to play like Mike Allstott still? And if you don't ask him to, do you really want Cam Newton to be your starting quarterback? So the whole football side of it to me is really, really interesting. And if I'm Matt Rule, I would look at just a couple of years back when he won the MVP or frankly, right before he got injured last year and say, this is still a really good player with unique qualities that I can turn into a high quality offense. So maybe he's telling the truth or hey, you can have Cam Newton for $18 million on your cap and a second-round pick, <laughs> and we're going to totally rebuild because I can see the Panthers totally rebuilding. Yeah, and the more I think about it, the quote, unbelievably excited is very much coach speak, and when you <laughs> look at it, it's like, oh, wait a second, that actually doesn't mean anything at all. That's <laughs> right, just right. something to put out there in public, and he did not go as far as to say that Cam was for sure going to be the starter either, so he didn't go nope. that far. So, yeah, maybe... Yeah, this is lying season, and we're you have to wade through this, and I think that'll be fun for us to do as we go through this process in the off season of wading through what we think is truth and what we think is not truth. How about this for one? It sounds like they're trying to, and I think a clean slate is how they put it in Chicago. Mitch Trubisky, clean slate. Do you believe that? Do you think that uh, he's their guy? Do you think they should give him a clean slate, or do you think they really have a focus on bringing in somebody to compete with him to be the starting Bears quarterback? I believe both. First of all, if people don't know, today was a big day of team representatives at the podium. I mentioned we talked to Kevin Colbert. He represented the Steelers. John Elway represented the the Broncos. You know, like every team's going to basically have a head coach or GM kind of giving a state of the union today. That's why there's a lot of these quotes. But these men are also very smart at saying exactly the framing it exactly the way they want to frame it. And with Trubisky. Here's what I believe. I believe they still like him. I believe they like him more than I do. I believe there might be a little bit of denial that they picked the wrong guy. 
I also believe that he wasn't super healthy last year, and it's easy just to brush a young player under the rug and say he's a bust, he stinks, he's never going to do anything. So I don't want to be quite in that camp. So I think if you say we have a clean slate with Mitch, we've he's going to come in presumably as our starter. That's a great way of, of looking at it. It's an optimistic way. But if you go sign Andy Dalton or Cam Newton or Philip Rivers or something like that too, that doesn't mean you're going back on your word, but you know, they're going to say, we just couldn't believe Andy Dalton was available, you know, like, and they don't have a ton of cap space, but there's no way they go into next year with Mitch and nothing else. I'll throw one more quarterback situation at you. The Jacksonville Jaguars coach, Doug Marone said he has no timeline for his decision to name the starting quarterback in 2020 between Nick Foles and Gardner Minshew. I guess I don't blame him there. I mean, you, you didn't see a ton of Foles, but you know a lot about him. You did see quite a bit of Minshew, but can he stand the test of time? Um, I guess that's a fine way of handling it. I keep saying they don't really have a starting quarterback. I think both those guys are high-end backups. I think I think that's why the quote exists that states if you have two quarterbacks you have none yeah right right i mean it's not like you have young in montana yep absolutely all right let's talk combine weigh-ins i want to specifically look at hand size really quick with the quarterbacks the big story from day one it was the first thing i saw with the combine and i was actually kind of forgot that they were already starting to to measure these players up on monday when i saw the headline about Joe Burrow, potential number one overall pick in the draft. Very small, tiny, minuscule, nine-inch hands. If you're a team, Matt, and you are scouting a quarterback that you're potentially going to draft number one overall, he shows up at the combine, his hands measure nine inches on the dot. What is general manager Matt Williamson's worry level between one and ten? It's four and a half, something like that. Okay, so it's Uh, not nothing, but it's not a big deal. Maybe it's five. Maybe it's five and a half. Here's my take on it. <laughs> okay. So we were on the – that seems to be the number one topic around the the, the combine right now because he's the over, first overall pick, and it's kind of like how tall is Kyler Murray going to be? You know, I mean, you know he's not going to be 6'2". And uh, it was rumored that Burrow had small hands, and nine on the dot is small. And my co-host at the time, a young man named Wes Euler, he's a very – he's a small, petite, skinny dude. He got out a ruler, and we both measured our hands. And his were nine and a quarter. Mine was nine and a half. And my, my his reason, he was just trying to be funny. But I'm like, hey, I've handled an NFL ball fully pumped up with somebody throwing it at me hard. And my point is, that NFL ball, for all you listeners, is bigger, heavier, more intimidating than you think. I promise you that. And... I'm not comparing myself to Joe Burrow. I'm just saying I've caught a ball from an NFL quarterback and it's scary and it's heavy. <laughs> it's heavy and, <laughs> and it comes hard from an NFL yes. quarterback. Those guys can, I mean, the way that the velocity that it comes out of their hands is, is unreal for even like a, you know, a college quarterback go out and, and play catch with someone who can really throw a ball. That's frightening it's, for a receiver. It's frightening. I don't think I've ever told you this story, but you're familiar with Jeff Garcia from your Niner days. Yeah. He was our quarterback with the Browns and Frankly, he was at the end of his career and even in his best day did not have a huge arm. Well, I'm walking out to practice and my khakis and button up and he's like the first one out there fiddling with the ball and he's like, hey, warm me up. 
he's throwing probably 30%, just lubing up, you know, real simple throws. I thought he was going to knock my teeth out of my head. You know, <laughs> like I was scared. That's awesome. <laughs> and you have good sized hands. You've got right. bigger I mean, than I'm Joe Burrow hands. Dude, and I've caught footballs with my buds and, you know, but it's not, the, it's a big, heavy ball is my point. So for Burrow in particular, nine is small. Going to the Bengals, assumedly, that the weather in that area of the country concerns me more than if he was playing at LSU or the Saints or, you know what I mean? He's going to deal with weather. That ball gets really slick. And when it's freezing out, it weigh, feels like it weighs 100 times more than when it does originally, which is really heavy. Um, so that worries me, you know, just handling the ball and the weather. And I said on the air today that because LSU was so amazing this year, we didn't see him have to do big hand things, I guess is a way of putting it. Protecting the ball in the pocket, driving the ball in the wind. You know, like there's not a lot of tape where you could evaluate him as a player just looking at it from a hand size perspective. But I will say that when we had Greg Cosell on, he mentioned this. He said he does do an exceptional job keeping two hands on the ball as long as possible, keeping it in a very secure position. It doesn't get far away from his body. Obviously, his greatest strength is his ability to put that football anywhere he wants. And his hands were nine inches last year, and he was able to do that. And I think he'll still be able to do it. But whether has me a little concerned because because you've never seen it. There's a lot of humidity, I guess, at LSU in that area of the country. So maybe he's dealt with uh, some wetness on the ball. But you're right. It's not like the kind of weather he's going to see. 20 degrees and that thing weighs a bazillion pounds. Exactly. And I will say this. There is a reason Tom Brady deflated footballs. Absolutely. It's a huge advantage catching it, too. All right. Let's move on to some more weigh-ins from the first two days at Indianapolis. One more quick hand size note with the quarterbacks. On the other side of things, 10 inches is a very large hand for someone who's Mm -hmm. six feet flat. I think it was a good day as far as weigh-ins go for Tua Tagovailoa, but really what matters for him at the Combine is that medical stuff. Right. I don't have much more to add, but I kind of got the feeling that no news was good news on Tua. Yeah, the fact that he had big hands, hit six feet. If you're going to be a short quarterback, at least you know show that you have big hands. I think Drew Brees has big hands for a short guy. and uh, Russell Wilson has Russell Wilson is the one who has enormous yeah. hands for being 5'10". So I think that absolutely helps you as far as weigh-ins go for Tua Tagovailoa. I want to talk running backs because they're all really short. DeAndre Swift, who on a lot of boards is the number one running back in the class, just barely over 5'8". J.K. Dobbins, 5'9 and a half. Zach Moss, 5'9 and 3'8. Um, there was uh, J.J. Taylor, 5'5 and a quarter, 185 pounds out of Arizona. That one worries me. That one <laughs> we can put to the side and say, you better be pretty darn special. That's a little person. You better be a great return man, too, if you're going to make it. Yes. Little. But like Eno Benjamin and what's his face from LSU? I mean, guys, we knew were short. Or probably a little shorter than we thought. I do think that's a good conversation in terms of this running back class. JT, like you said, J.K. Dobbins, 5'9 and a half. Like, I thought he'd be 5'11. Yeah, I thought he was more of a 5'11 yeah. guy or 5'10 and a half. Clyde Edwards-Alaire from LSU that you mentioned there, yeah. really stubby. Short arms, 29 inches, 
five seven and a quarter, and he's got short legs when you see him run. I I, I have questions on what his long speed is going to look like because it doesn't show up on tape, and with short legs like that, just the stride length is going to make it difficult for him to work out extremely well as far as showing speed. It's good for short area stuff. Uh, he's he was throwing the ball a lot, but I mean. And is it even a disadvantage to be short at running back? I think you can find some value in players that get dinged for height when it doesn't really even matter all that much as long as you can still have enough stride to get it going and have a little bit of long speed. Yeah, and I I mentioned uh, we had Fran Duffy on who works with the Eagles, and he compared Edwards Hilaire to Brian Westbrook. I've compared him to Maurice Jones-Drew. Mm-hmm. Um, in general, short running backs don't concern me one bit. And at times, I think it's... If I had to put it in as an advantage or disadvantage, I would send towards advantage. Sometimes you're a little harder to find, less of you to hit, um, always leverage players, they're low to the ground. And so short running backs don't bother me if they're not little people. I mean, like you're five, seven and a quarter, 207, there's some thickness to you and there's some, you know, a lot of substance to your body. But Edwards Hilaire in, in specifically, but all these guys in general, Protection does worry me. I mean, if you're shorter with short arms and a linebacker with a head of steam that's 230 pounds, has five, six, seven steps coming downhill at you before you get to make contact with them, that worries me a little bit. And again, hand size is another one. With shorter players, you you worry about that arm length and hand size. It doesn't help you as a receiver. doesn't help you handling the football either. So you got to worry about fumbling issues and worry about them as a receiver spread out if it's going to affect them catching the ball when they're running routes. And so it's, yes. it's not nothing, but it, a lot of times height isn't an advantage as a running back, but there are some things that is an advantage being a little bit bigger as a running back. And even the guys I thought like Cam Akers, I thought he was a little bit taller. He was 5'10 and 3'8". That's the other thing about we talked about how gms are lying and this is lying season how about college rosters i mean they lie too six three means you're six one oh, six feet lie. flat means you're five ten and a half five eleven means you're five nine it's crazy i was listening to the first draft podcast with todd and mel just this morning and mel was telling the story of back in his day you know before when he was the only one out there really doing this all he had to go on was Oklahoma's program or, you know, like he, he, would, he would call these schools and they would send them all the media guides. And he immediately took two inches off everyone's everyone's height right off the bat just to start <laughs> so that he might be pleasantly surprised. But usually he was dead on. And that's it's 100 percent true. And on the other side of things, I think they have they can kind of guess that a player might get bigger or heavier. But a lot of times, yeah, they're an inch and a half shorter, but they're 10 pounds heavier because weight is one thing you can change. You can't get taller. And people lie, though. I mean, you come to the—I don't have a good example in front of me, but somebody. I mean, there's gonna be plenty of them throughout the week. Come to the combine that they're a little—they think you're a little lean. You come up all rocked up, and you say, "Ah, I'm not gonna run the combine though." And then at your pro day, you're ten pounds lighter, and you're on the pro <laughs> day. You know, like there's tricks, right? And you drink five pounds worth of water before the weigh-in right. just to get a little <laughs> right, bit bigger, right. hit that mark. You got to feel yeah. bad for the guys that come up just short. Like, actually, we had talked about C.D. Lamb, and I had guessed he was going to be under 200 pounds and it'd be about 6'1. And it turns out uh, that was pretty close. He was 6'1 and 5'8, 198. I wonder how much water he drank to try to get to that 200 pound mark and, and just fell short of it. So uh, the 40 time is going to be big for him. And I, and I wonder if we're going to start to hear after the combine, I bet we're going to hear, oh, you know what? I wish, wish. C.D. Lamb had more deep speed. Oh, you know what? Anonymous scout says, oh, you know what? But they don't play defense in the Big 12. Just 
Not a big slide, just a little slide for CeeDee Lamb. I wouldn't be shocked. Yeah, you've been calling that for a while. We'll see. I, I mean, I think that's interesting, but there's definitely benchmarks. I mean, 198 is different than 200. It, it's stupid, but it is. Yeah. Well, and, and if you're a burner, so Jerry Judy comes in 6'1 flat 193, and you're going to say, well, why do you not like, and not that I dislike it, but why would a team knock CeeDee Lamb, who's bigger, 6'1 and 5'8, 198? Than Jerry Judy at 6'1", 193, and the answer would be because they play completely different, and Jerry Styles, Judy's going right? to run like crazy, run like the wind. C.D. Lamb's not a burner either, so if you're drafting in the top 15, you're a GM, you want to check off as many boxes as you can. If you're not supersized and you don't have a lot of speed to go with it, there's just going to be enough question to where maybe you go tiebreaker, go a different player, or maybe even a different position. And I like you, the term to use with the tiebreaker because – I mean, the receiver position in particular this year, but really every position every year, the difference between these guys is minimal. I mean, they're all really, really good. And when you get the fourth round guards, do we like Johnny or Freddie? And like, ah, well, there's this one little tiebreaker that's fifth or eighth on our list of qualifications that just leans towards Freddie. You know what I mean? So you got to make a choice and one little thing could be enough. Henry Ruggs is an odd one, too. 5'11", 188, so very light. I thought 5'11 is about what he would look like. He, he was listed six feet, so 5'11, that makes sense. That that sounds mm-hmm. about right. But then huge hands for being 188, 10 and an eighth inch hands, which are really big mitts. And he is going to work out. He is going to run, which is good to see. And he's got his eyes set on that 4'2'2 from John Ross. He's going to try to break it. We'll see. I mean, if anybody can, he can because he is blazing Fast, but an interesting way in there. Lighter than you'd want, but nice big hands, and he's going to be able to jump. Uh, he's going to run fast. So uh, Henry Ruggs is a really interesting one. I don't know how to think if that was a win or a loss or, or what for him, height, weight, speed-wise. Yeah, I guess no surprise there. The speed, everyone's going to be on the edge of their seat, like you mentioned, rightfully so. I mean, he's Tyreek Hill, roadrunner like in pads. He's one that I wouldn't mind of seeing the weigh-in. Like, how high cut is his waist? How long-limbed is he? I was a little surprised by the hand size, like you said, but that's a, a benefit, you know? Shorter arms, 30 and a half inch arms. So big hands, short arms, which is a weird combination as well. That doesn't happen very often. Yeah. Uh, and really, it's, it's, a, it's a small wide receiver class. It's really deep. It's really good. Most of the big wide receivers are more plotters and, and guys that probably won't go in the first couple of rounds like Michael Pittman and Colin Johnson. The only taller wide receiver is T. Higgins at 6'3 and 5'8", 216". 34 and an eighth inch arm. So a lot of length there body wise. He's getting a lot of comps to AJ green. He doesn't play like with the, the dog mentality that AJ green did. And he's not AJ green, but size wise, I can see why that's the comparison for him. How he runs will be huge for T Higgins, but of the guys who have been whispered as first round draft picks, he's the only one that's over six, two. Yeah. And that's interesting. And I think I mentioned this the other day, but I just want to reiterate it. And I hope I say it every day this week is all of you, whenever you want to go check the, the 40 results, which is fun as can be, and if you didn't watch the drills and you just want to see the list, great. I mean, I, I, th- that's wonderful. But when you pull up, you're going to go to wide receivers first. Wide receiver, this guy was first, this guy was second, this guy was third. That's the worst way to view the list. Judge it by weight. You know, like, uh, is C.D. Lamb going to run a 4-2-2 if he was, if you put 15 pounds on his back, you know, and he is running it at 210 or whatever? Of course not. So really be conscious of 
boy, this time stands out for being a 220-pound back or receiver or whatever. Don't just look at RBs and go 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, or WRs, 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Really take note of the weight. Absolutely. That's a great point. And there's a lot of good people out there that do work. There's the RAS metric, which is, I can't even remember what it stands for, but it, it incorporates yeah. all of those things. There's the spark metric that is out there that I think was developed by Nike, but a guy named Zach Whitman has sort of reversed engineered that. And so spark score is a good one because it incorporates jumps and it incorporates weight into this speed score rather than being just, you know, what's your 40 time. And you mentioned the earlier about how a receiver shows up big at the combine then runs at his pro day. Henry Ruggs might be trying to get that official combine time 188. He might show up at his pro day 195. Yeah, right, right. Or if he does, yeah, exactly. Really well said. And to your point about the speed scores, it's really shown through more metric um, research over the last years and using a lot of previous data that adjusted speed score for tight ends and receiver is a lot more prudent than just their flat 40 times. So basically, I don't know what formula you use, but if you take 40 time times weight, that would be more prudent than just saying who the fastest guys are. And you've mentioned it before. Don't double count it. If he's fast yeah. and you know he's fast, don't give him extra credit for timing fast. And make sure that what you see and those times, if you want to believe it, make sure you also see it on tape. So it always goes back to the tape. Yep, absolutely. And if he's fast and you thought he was average, well, then go back to the tape. But also don't think that this guy hasn't been practicing his starts like a sprinter for the last couple of months either. <laughs> right. Absolutely. All right. We're <laughs> out of time here, Matt. Let's do it again tomorrow. Weigh-ins. We'll start to see some players on the field during workouts later this week. We'll have the combine covered for you right here. Locked on NFL.